most people are working from home. Most people are not nomadic. Uh, and most people uh, would use the perk of remote uh, to cut down on a commute, uh, be more friendly to the environment, uh, or you know, occasionally use it of like, hey, I've got to go uh, you know, visit uh, visit family, so for, I'll just stay there, work there for the next month, and and, and get that done. Uh, so the nomadic aspect um, is not uh, not the draw; it's the aspect of just the flexibility that they can use when they need it. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Kershawski, and welcome to another episode of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from remote work experts, digital nomads, and location-independent entrepreneurs, so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to introduce you to Ken Weary, the COO of Hotjar. Since joining Hotjar in 2016, Ken has scaled the remote-first culture of the company from a team of 14 to over 350 people distributed across more than 50 countries and growing. In his role, he oversees the company's finance, people, compliance, and business operations divisions. Ken is also a digital nomad and has been traveling with his family across Central America, Europe, and Africa for nearly eight years. And during this episode, Ken shared why he was so bullish about remote work even way back in 2014, his top tips for ambitious remote workers who don't want to choose between the freedom to travel and building a successful career, and how the digital nomad lifestyle has affected his kids. But two quick things before we jump into the podcast. Number one, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where every Monday I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business, tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you will also love being a Remote Insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider, all one word. And number two, I'd like to personally invite you to join our team. TRL listener Slack channel, which you can find at thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. In the Slack channel, you'll be able to have direct contact with me, meet other listeners of this show, and we'll be putting together events and Q&As with some of our biggest podcast guests to dive in even deeper with them. Access to the Slack channel is completely free. And again, that link is thatremotelife.com forward slash Slack. And finally, very quickly, if you haven't left a review of the show already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to podcasts. I would really appreciate that. And I've also made it really easy for you to leave a review by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL. Going to that link and leaving a review will just take a minute or two, and I would really appreciate it. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Ken Weary. All right, Ken, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. I feel like this is, uh, I feel like you should have been on the show earlier, but you know, we're getting you on now and I'm very excited uh, to have you here. How are you doing? Hey, uh, thanks so much, Mitko. Like, I uh, really appreciate the invite to, to uh, be a guest and uh, things are things are good. Uh, I'm in uh, in our home base just outside Lisbon, Portugal, and uh, just wrapped up a great day uh, of work and just chilling. So 
Let's start with Portugal because listeners of the show likely know that my wife, Sarah, and I were actually considering on, on coming to Portugal to Lisbon uh, in January, and we decided not to do it just because I feel like things have changed a little bit in Portugal in terms of like everyone has rushed there. It has really affected prices and cost of living, and it's really hard. We had a really hard time even finding like potential apartments to stay in. How do you feel, uh, A, how long have you been in Lisbon now? And how do you feel from your vantage point? Is that true? Like, how has that affected Lisbon? How has that influx of remote workers changed Lisbon for the better or for the worse? Uh, I definitely think it's changed it for the better and continues to and will continue to change it for the better as it brings in uh, greater diversity, uh, greater diversity in people, background, thoughts, uh, innovation, entrepreneurs, and ideas. Uh, I think that's a win for a, an economy long-term. Uh, when, when you talk about the, the pure economics of it, uh, absolutely. I think that um, the, it, it does get, uh, it, it, is, it is a place that continues to go up, not just because of inflation uh, at this time in, in the macroeconomic cycle, but also because of uh, a lot of economy, a lot of money's been flushed into the economy. Uh, some of it has been self-inflicted by the government, uh, who had a really popular golden visa program where a lot of foreigners moved in with a lot of money and basically bought a visa. Um, and uh, that really um, that's something the government's been uh, now restricted uh, in, in areas of Lisbon to try to make sure that they uh, promote uh, investment outside of uh, the more popular areas of Lisbon and Porto and in uh, the Algarve. But. Even with that, I think that, the, like you said, there is the, the nomadic aspect uh, and entrepreneur aspect that's also encouraged uh, the, the growth of uh, price increases. Um, look, I, I'm a, I travel with my wife and two kids and, uh, and, and two dogs now. We, we adopted two dogs uh, when we were wow. in the south of Portugal. We just got a dog and are planning to travel with it. And every, all of our friends that are nomadic are like, are you insane? That's even harder than traveling with a kid. So uh, I'm excited to f meet a fellow crazy person that plans on traveling with a dog. <laughs> Absolutely. I can totally get into that. The, um, but so, so setting that aside, like, yeah, we, we look at things uh, of where we're going to stay. We got four people and two dogs. Uh, and, it does take a while to find a place that's affordable. You do have to do research, whether it's in Lisbon or, or whatnot. But uh, for instance, in Lisbon, we we came to Lisbon in March. Yeah, March. And it took us three months to find the place that uh, that we uh, the, our home base that we were here. So um, what we like to do is as we travel, uh, we uh, we establish a long-term lease at an affordable place that we can stay long-term and always come back to it. When you got two kids, they have junk, right? There's going to be stuff that that piles up, and it's always good to come back to your own bed uh, as you go. So, um, but we, it needs to be affordable so you're not, you know, killing yourself when you're traveling for two months uh, and really saying, "What am I going to do about rent?" Um, and paying the rent, you want to make sure uh, that you've got a bridge of affordability there. So it took us three months to really dig down deep, and we negotiated on uh, three different places that we uh, ended up walking away from because the price wasn't right or the terms weren't right. Uh, we wanted flexibility on a number of things. Uh, and so I would say uh, we found a place that we're really happy with. It met, checked all the boxes for what we wanted in a long-term place uh, and found it at a price that was uh, well below uh, 
the typical uh, market rate for what we were looking for. Um, but it took time and it takes, you know, some bit of luck uh, and a good bit of networking too. Uh, we had some fantastic places that we stayed in between short-term stays while we were looking for this place by reaching out to friends and saying, hey, you know anybody, you got anything? And it was like, oh, I know of a friend of a friend or this person I do aerobics with or whatever. You know, there was there was always just these weird, you know, crazy stories where uh, we're able to find really good deals with the exception of uh, about two weeks where we really had to bend over for a really high fee on Airbnb for a two week period. That was less than ideal, but it all works out well uh, and balanced out in the end. Yeah, I feel I feel like post COVID, the geo arbitrage, like the a lot of people have understood they can now go somewhere else and work remotely. And so I feel like it's been like this like rock that got thrown into the rental market pond in a lot of these cities like Lisbon that are popular for remote workers and digital nomads. And I feel like there's almost this period of like, it's kind of shaky. Like there's like, you know, prices are going up in some places. It's it's kind of having like an effect. So I'm interested to see how that balances out uh, over the next um, couple of years. But one of the things that I want to uh, kind of talk about here to start with is, and you've already alluded to this a little bit, you've been traveling as a digital nomad with your family for a very long time. You've been nomadic for eight years now. And what's really interesting to me whenever I speak with people like you who have been doing it for a long time, because my wife and I became nomadic in 2016. So, um, you know, it was before COVID, but I feel like I love to hear from people like you who've had that sort of experiences. What made you do that back then? Because post-COVID, it kind of makes sense. It's not as risky. What was it uh, about that time and for your situation? Like, why did you go? Why did you decide to go nomadic? Why did you decide to start working remotely? Uh, it was a difficult decision for me and my wife, but we don't have kids, right? So it was a it was a much easier decision. So can you kind of like walk us through that process and like? Why did you decide that that was the right decision to make uh, for you guys at that time? Uh, I guess to rewind the clock on that, uh, it was 2013. Uh, my wife and I uh, uh, were both runners, and we we heard about this really cool um, concept on a podcast back then of uh, the uh, this American that lives in Guatemala in the highlands of Guatemala and takes people on guided running trips uh, up and down the mountains in Guatemala around Lake Atitlan. Beautiful, beautiful setting. And we're like, we're in. Let's go do this for a vacation. And so what started as a vacation, really, uh, uh, while we were there, um, the we met other expats, we saw other travelers, and we just got bit by the bug that uh, really took hold of us and said, holy cow, this, you know, this, um, we could, we could see ourselves here. We could see ourselves as travelers in this area. Um, and, you know, we of course had tons of questions. What about school? What about, uh, you know, uh, what about earning money? What about, uh, safety? What about all, all those things? Uh, and we went back home after the trip to Guatemala and, and decided, you know, wow, this is something we really want to do, but is that really a great idea with kids at the time? My son was five, my daughter was eight. And we're like, yeah, we'll have to do it once the kids are out of out of school, right? This this isn't right. We can't do that. No one else does it. Traveling with kids, and then we're like, no. What are you? What What are we thinking? We do that, we're going to be old. 
you know, we, we want to get hit the road now and, and make sure that we, we can really uh, understand and appreciate this. And at the same point in time, we can educate our kids along the way with, you know, the cultures and the traditions and the different aspects of the world. Uh, and so we decided to do it for a year and um, and go from there. And uh, we did a ton of research. And uh, in 2014, we hit the road uh, driving our car from Seattle, Washington, uh, down through Mexico into Guatemala. And after a year of, um, uh, being on the road, we decided we didn't want to stop. We didn't want to go back to the United States and, um, uh, pick up where we left off. We wanted to oh, write a new chapter. Uh, we were just having too much fun and, um, we, uh, decided to, to keep going and figure out what are the longer term aspects to, um, you know, that I want to be doing career wise, what are the longer term aspects we want to be doing as a family and schooling and so forth. And yeah, spent the next two and a half years, you know, petering around uh, Central America, drove through every country in uh, Central America, mainland Central America, and uh, you know, had a blast. And so that was really what started everything. Yeah, I read that you once said that if you had to return to any place again, it seemed like everyone in your family had a different place that they'd like to return to. And you said Mexico. As someone who spent a lot of time in Mexico myself, I'm curious, why Mexico? Why is that like a place that you'd say like you'd love to go back to? I, so to be honest, I think I'm cheating when I say it. Uh, I think I'm cheating uh, because, you know, my... My my wife will say Cape Town, South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, and the reason why I say I'm cheating is because like I want a country, I don't mm-hmm. want a city. A city, and Got so <laughs> if I can pick a country, what's a country uh, I feel like I know and love the United States and and uh, and the aspects there. And while I've spent uh, off and on like probably ten months in Mexico, Mexico is a huge country, right? It's got like thirty six states, I think, throughout it, mm-hmm. each one with different dialects, different foods, different traditions. And, you know, the you don't realize that until you're living there and you start to realize, oh, this word doesn't mean the same here as it did there. Or, you know, spices are totally different and flavors are unique. And um, it's just as different as, you know, New York and L.A., uh, you know, different you know East Coast and West Coast of Mexico is the same or North to South. So the reason why I, I pick Mexico is I still get the maximum amount of diversity uh, with a language that I'm pretty good at speaking. Um, and um, uh, and I just love Mexico. I did uh, great food, great people. Mm. I want to talk about, so I'm very interested in talking about this, this idea of doing this as a family. Uh, I think it's a very, very interesting topic. But one of the things that, uh, the other thing that I want to talk with you about that I feel like you have a very, unique ability to talk about is this idea of growing in a career while working remotely because I feel like a lot of people right now are having to make this 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 decision of do I want to be ambitious and kind of grow my career or do I want to have more freedom and work remotely and have this ability to travel what have you learned about like how to manage that? Like, how can you, how can someone who's maybe listening to this podcast, maybe they're early on in, in their career. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are relatively speaking younger, maybe in their twenties. Um, how can they both be ambitious and want to be successful and grow in a career, but still be nomadic work remotely? Like how, how do they kind of manage those two things? 
I think there's there, it's a, a great question, and, it, uh, and there's several different paradigms to it. I would start with the aspect of uh, the you got to figure out what's important to you uh, on the work-life balance spectrum, and and where you want to apply your ambitions associated to that. I mean, I was I had a very successful corporate career in Seattle, uh, and chose to uh, to to take the leap, and um, knowing that you know I I feel smart enough and accomplished enough that I'll land on my feet, whatever I'm doing, wherever I go. Uh, But it does mean that maybe I am making less money or there are some less opportunities, you know, Uh, and uh, but the if you work and you hustle and you search for it uh, uh, throughout, you can find the right blend of ingredients uh, that's right for you. But you have to manage your career just like you have to manage your relationships. Right, you're married. You know that that's that's no cakewalk. It it takes right. time. It's it's an investment, right? Uh, but you you get the rewards and the benefits from it. Uh, and your career's the same way. So, if if you're working for uh, a company that's you know office based only, um, you know, and and you love that job, you got to weigh that out. How important is that to you? Uh, and where you want to go? I guarantee you, you can write that. You can write your own next chapter remotely but it, it'll take it might take a while to find but you can do it and um you know there's so many people i've met over the years that have said you know you can't um uh, you're taking a huge risk by uh by living the lifestyle you are and i think i'm taking a bigger risk if i stay put because i'm going to miss out on so much of life that's important to me um so i would say you got to you got to get out there and find what is driving your passion and that'll drive, you know, how you make your money. Um, and you got to continue to work at it. Uh, you know, I think there's a number of aspects. I'm, I'm a huge anti-proponent for hybrid work. Uh, I think hybrid work is, is definitely something that is career limiting and culturally fractures a company's culture. Um, I'm not saying it can't be done and it isn't done successfully, but I think it's limiting. Uh, much more than it is either a fully remote company or a fully in office company, uh, because everybody has equal access to the same resources at all times. It's, you know, if, if you work for a hybrid company and you're the person who's out traveling, um, where's the executive team? Are they going to the right. office? Because if they're going to the office, the people with the best chances to succeed are probably also going to the office just out of natural human nature. It's not anything deceptive. Um, so, uh, when I took, uh, my, uh, initially I took a, uh, I decided I was going to take a year off of work and, uh, and travel with my family and then decided to get back into, uh, the workforce. Uh, I was really picky about the jobs that, uh, I wanted to pursue had to be fully remote, had to be something that, uh, I believed in a product and a culture that was important to me and resonated to me. Uh, I found that at the company I work for today, Hotjar. Uh, and I've uh, been with Hotjar uh, for uh, about six and a half years. I'm the chief operating officer uh, and uh, am able to live a nomadic lifestyle uh, while working in that position for a successful company that we've now scaled to 350 plus people working in 50 different countries. Uh, we have no physical offices uh, and uh, we continue to um, learn every single day how to do it better. Do you think that there is a different muscle, so to say, that people who are trying to build a career in a remote workforce need to have as opposed to 
an in-person corporate workforce? Like, do you think there's almost like a different skill set that you need to build in some way? My default answer is no with a qualifier. So here's here's my qualification. You know, people will say, oh, remote work is, you know, is is so different because you 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 can't read body language or you can't read you know nonverbals in communication. And I think they're a hundred percent wrong. I think the difference is you need to change the prescription on your glasses. It is a different lens that you you're not used to looking through. Because at the end of the day, so much about success is communication. And communication has to exist in office and it has to exist uh, in an asynchronous environment. But it is different, right? The lens is different. But if you want to talk about you know nonverbals that you can't read, yeah, you can absolutely read them, right? How many times are you on a Zoom call, but some of the people decide to leave their cameras off? That's telling you something, right? It, maybe it's they're not comfortable with the environment. Maybe they're, you know, they, they look sloppy that day. Maybe who knows what, but it is a signal and you need to pick up on it, right? Take a look at their status updates on Slack. How, how often are they online? How quick do they respond? Did something change in their behavior um, over a period of time? If so, those are all nonverbal uh, aspects that you actually, I think, you get more nonverbal communication if you pay attention to it and you watch, you, you change your lens and your filter than you would in office. You just happen to know somebody's at their desk. That's all you know. <laughs> um, you know, you want to know if they're online or they're responsive or they, um, you know, showing up on time. There's so many different signals. So let me adjust my question this way. Like one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast before with other guests is about like, I believe that work as an employee is becoming more like I I believe the careers are becoming more entrepreneurial with opportunity being global. It means that you almost have to sell yourself a bit more. You like, I believe that the best jobs are going to go to the people that have some sort of personal branding uh, in, in some way. So my question is kind of like, do you, like, do you, would you agree with that in terms of like the, like this shift in, in careers becoming more entrepreneurial, having to think about a personal brand in that way when you're going out and getting jobs and, and, you know, being able to compete for the best jobs, essentially. Do you see that from your position at hot jars being important when you're hiring or like, just what is, what are your opinions on that? I, 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 I think you're onto something, but I don't think it's, um, uh, a, I wouldn't relegate it to the success of a remote company. I think that if you um, if you're working for a, a large brand that's office based, uh, you know, a lot of people want to get hired by that Fortune 500 company, and a lot of people are applying and they're getting a ton of things. Who stands out, and how do you make yourself stand out? It is about networking. It is about branding. So I think that the the best talent by far are ones that stand out that way, and I don't necessarily draw it to the same. Uh, conclusion that that's remote, but I do think that the whole entrepreneurial aspect and all of that is so important on any modern day successful company. Yeah, yeah, I do think that it, it that you're so on the money there in terms of like how do you stand out, right? Like how do you stand out when there's so many people writing on LinkedIn, like doing whatever maybe like you know creating creating these things, and you almost have to like be able to raise your hand metaphorically in some way to stand out to these companies and show that you're the right choice, whether it's you want to work with them as a client kind of thing, right? Or if you want to get hired by them. Uh, I do think it's very interesting. You mentioned your that Hotjar has grown 
um, I believe since you've been the COO there from 14 to over 350 people, if, if I read that correctly. Yeah. That is a big shift uh, for one person to kind of oversee. And I'm curious from like a remote work standpoint, what is maybe the biggest thing that has changed in the company as you grew from, you know, uh, a few dozen people to a few hundred people? Like what was the biggest thing that you guys as a company operationally had to had to fix or change in the way you did things? I, I have a mantra of like, if it isn't simple, it doesn't scale. And the I've had to, I've had to modify my thinking around that uh, because in modern day growth of an international remote business, natural complexities surface uh, as success happens. And it's kind of uh, uh, the downside of success. You know, there's, you have uh, greater tax obligations in multiple countries and employment obligations in multiple countries. And, uh, and then you have uh, different aspects of like, oh, well, this country requires that you do this for your employees versus this country requires it different. And you have, you know, what's, you know, comes from a United States thinking versus a European thinking, totally different. Um, and so I would say that we start when we were small and we were, uh, we were, we were, it was easier to be scrappy. It was easier to, um, the, um, make sure that everything we could just bang, 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 do everything the same. And so the challenge that we faced is we still want to operate that way, right? We still want to be scrappy. Mm. We still need to move fast. It's a competitive market, right? And we have lots of ambitions to, to continue to grow and be successful for our customers. So how do we still maintain that um, while navigating the complexities and recognizing that some of them are immovable objects? Uh, and so I would say like, that's been the biggest challenge as we grow. And the same thing applies not just to me on the operation side, but also my peers on the on the technology side, right? You got to worry about how to scale things at massive proportions. Uh, you know, what you could easily do in one instance, you have to do across five and have massive failovers and uh, monitoring across the board and that gets extremely complex. So it's a matter of how do you get complexity in an elegant form that is both sustainable uh, and easy enough to explain. Uh, it's so uh, um, I would say that that's been the biggest challenge. Um, but across that has come incredible learnings uh, and incredible opportunity to bring on a lot smarter people than me uh, and uh, really uh, grow the company in new ways. I mean, uh, you know, a, a year and a half ago, we got acquired. We were acquired by a new parent company uh, because of our success. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and um, and like, you know, Again, insert new learning opportunities, right? Uh, yeah. you know, Hotjar is now owned by a, a, a venture-backed uh, pre-IPO company, Content Square, uh, and so it creates even more sophistication and complexity. Uh, but with that comes greater opportunities too. Along that line of like you know trying to you know uh, kind of like think and like learn and like solve these solutions, a lot of companies that are maybe like smaller or just starting their remote journey will look to companies like. Hotjar, like GitLab, like Duis, like Time Doctor to try and like figure out, okay, we're having this problem. How did these companies solve it? Where do you look? Is there some place that you kind of look for inspiration in that way to, to, you know, see like, oh, let's see how they did this and see if we can learn something from that. Yeah. I, I, I think it, I think we, we touched on this a bit before we started recording of like, it's still somewhat of a small universe. Like, uh, mm. so 
you know, yeah, I, I've collaborated with Darren Murph or, or at GitLab or Chase Warrington at Doist or Liam at, uh, at Time Doctor. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's a community that, that also learns from one another. And what's right for one isn't what's right for the other because we all have our own unique cultures, products, customers, uh, you know, objectives. But uh, as a community, I think we learn a lot together. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I do a lot of outreach and uh, and talking with uh, with with other leaders at other uh, great companies, um, and um, it 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 creates a really great sounding board at times. You know what I find really exciting about this space is like there is no how do I put this? There's no like thirty year veteran. It doesn't exist. We're all kind of like newbies and we're trying to learn together. And, and, and to me, that's almost like very exciting where like there's no one's there's been a lot of books written on remote work and how to work remotely. But there like there is no there is no like book yet written that's like the Bible, right, of like remote work or whatever it may be. And to me, that's really exciting because it's like almost we're doing it together in some way. And the the fact that there is no you know, like when you think about marketing, there's these like giants, right, that have like are, are talked about as like profits in terms of like marketing. That almost doesn't really, yes, there's big names in remote work, but that almost doesn't really exist. And we're all kind of building it together. And you and you hear so much about this idea of like doing it open source, right? Like GitLab having their handbook available. Same thing with Dropbox. Same thing with a lot of these other companies where they're like, hey, let's make everything open source so that we can learn from each other. And I think that that is very exciting um along those lines i'm curious where do you see or what do you think of are the biggest problems in remote work and i say that as a way of like looking at problems as opportunities right like if someone's listening to this as very entrepreneur who wants to get involved in this where do you think there are the most opportunities of either tools to be built or companies to be created uh, i'm just kind of curious about you know, if you had the chance to start something, what what would it, what would it be? I I think the the, the biggest uh, accelerant to innovation is um, is competition, um, and so I think I'm a huge proponent for additional remote work, um, you know, and and furthering that because as we as we do that, more and more products come about, more and more people look at problems totally different and evolve it. Um, some are really bad and, you know, those are, those are ones that you can see, uh, blow up. Uh, but even, even in that failure is a great learning. Uh, so I would say, you know, I think the, whatever the problem is that we are trying to solve, uh, you know, this week or this, uh, this year is going to be, uh, we, we don't know necessarily what we're trying to solve next. Um, I would think that, you know, the, the biggest problem that I think that we suffer with sometimes uh, at, uh, at Hotjar, and I know we're not alone, and I know you've talked about it on your program as well, um, is uh, async communication, is really getting the default down for asynchron asynchronous communication uh, and figuring out really what that means for your org. I mean, the um, just like there's no like perfect definition for digital nomad. Like what is a digital nomad? How long do you have to be on the road for? How often do you have to move? It doesn't matter. So you can brand yourself. Asynchronous is almost in the same way. Like how much asynchronous are you? And I know Matt Mullenweg uh, has his, uh, you know, six levels of autonomy uh, for uh, asynchronous communication, which is, which is brilliant. But same point in time, like 
if everybody's not consistently using the same tools and the same process in the same way, asynchronous devolves into something different for everyone else. Uh, you know, my favorite tool to to love to hate on is Slack. Um, you know, <laughs> to me, don't it's, we all? <laughs> yeah, it's like that. And to Zoom me, I right like. There. <laughs> like slack is uh you know to me i like to equate it to it's a way to walk over to somebody uh and tap them on their shoulder in a physical environment um and uh you know it's it's the way to say hey i need help right now i need to interrupt you um and others use it as their email inbox and others use it as um a way to you know have a debate or a you know a digital forum and it can't be all of those for everybody and still be asynchronous. Um, mm. And so I think that figuring out, and I know uh, like uh, Doist has Twist and there's other products that also that help to try to segment things better that way. But I do think that uh, figuring out how to communicate and how to reinforce the cultural norms of an organization and whatever processes uh, is really difficult. Uh, it's really, really difficult. And the same thing would exist in a physical office. Like, you know, when do you call a meeting or, you know, how often do you go over and tap somebody on their shoulder? But I think it's, it, it's probably uh, more prevalent in a remote environment. You know, what's funny is I think that that same problem that you're defining that exists within companies exists within like nomadic relationships as well. Because like, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure like myself, you have friends that are all over the world. And a part of me really misses or wishes that I had this like how I met your mother lifestyle where like every night I could go down to the bar under the apartment, <laughs> like see my friends there and hang out with them. But you almost have to like re-engineer that. So like we've done things with friends before where we will do like Zoom dates and kind of get together and just talk and have a beer over Zoom or uh, like you know, Chase and I, for example, just use back and forth like WhatsApp voice messages, right? Because it's like getting on a call can be really, really tough, but you know, we can voice message and it's like one degree better than like texting each other or whatever. So um, the, there is that same issue exists yeah. in a social sense as well as inside of the, the, the company sense. Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, and, and you multiply that by, um, you know, everybody's got their favorite platform, right? Or right iMessenger, right, right. Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, you name it, um, you know, Telegram, it's a bazillion different things. And it's like, what tool are we going to use today? Um, and, you know, you have 10 friends, you probably have 12 tools between you that you're using to communicate. Yeah. And it gets even more difficult with like cultural things. Like, for example, have you ever heard of... Um, Oh my God, I'm forgetting the the app name right now. Let me see what my phone is because this is... So my family in Bulgaria, they love this app called Viber and I've never yeah, heard of anyone else use yeah. it. I think it has a terrible user interface and just everyone in Bulgaria uses it. And then somebody wishes me a happy birthday on Viber for my family and then I don't respond for three months because it's like, I don't use this app. You know what I mean? So it's... Uh, yeah, I totally, I, I totally understand that. How have you, I'm curious about your, uh, you know, you've obviously been doing this for a very long time and you've had a lot of success, obviously, because of, you know, um, the trajectory of your career. A lot of people are trying to figure out how to be really productive when working remotely. There's a lot of ideas around that. Like, you know, do we do a four day work day? Do you, should you follow like a very rigid uh, work plan, kind of recreating the office? Do you do something more flexible? So I'm kind of curious about what you found that works for you as like a way to structure your day. Yeah. Um, so 
let me let me maybe take it up a level and talk about Hotjar. Uh, mm. That across those 350 people, um, the as I said, everybody's remote. You can choose to work wherever you want. Uh, y- you know, we we do have some um, some aspects of like we need customer support that works both in right. America's hours and European hours. But you know, for the most part, like those in America, we 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 tell them like we don't care where you work. You can be in Canada or you can be in you know Chile or anywhere in between or change your location. That's cool. Um, and same thing across Europe and Africa. But we do want them to be in the same general time zone area on a, on a, on a recurring basis, uh, with customers. If you want to take a trip and work from Japan for a month, that's cool, but please come back to your normal, um, your normal setting. Uh, but the, what we found is, uh, you know, across those 350 people at any given time, most people are working from home. Most people Mm -hmm. are not nomadic. Uh, and most people, uh, would use the perk of remote, uh, to cut down on a commute, uh, be more friendly to the environment, uh, or you know, occasionally use it of like, hey, I've got to go, uh, you know, visit uh, visit family, so for, I'll just stay there, work there for the next month, and and, and get that done. Uh, so the nomadic aspect um, is not uh, not the draw; it's the aspect of just the flexibility that they can use when right. they need it. Um, but the uh, and I think that's that's the same as I talk to leaders at uh, Automatic and GitLab and uh, and others. Like most fully remote companies, most of their employees uh, just work remotely from their home office. <laughs> uh, and the uh, and because of that, what's most natural to them uh, is to work your standard kind of nine to five kind of gig. Um, and uh, but and that is more of the norm within hot yards, more of the, the norm of my own personal working style. But when we, when I say that, I mean, it's more of the norm, meaning it's also flexible. Like if, um, if I want to go with my kids and, uh, check out some, some event nearby, I can pop out for a couple hours. I'll make up the hours. Um, as we go through, I'll plan around it on my schedule and my commitment to other stakeholders in the company. Uh, and we encourage that flexibility throughout the, throughout across the board. Uh, and, uh, and as a company, it helps with predictability of, Hey, most people are working the schedule. And if you're not, let us know. Um, and, um, just so we can work around it. But I think that, uh, it's more of the human culture that, uh, that drives it across most remote companies. Um, but, uh, I think making sure that you insert that ability for flexibility, uh, and you support it. And more importantly, the leaders also express that encourages others to make sure that they understand that. Yeah, you can do that. You can live your life around your work as well. Yeah, I feel like along those lines, like a skill that's going to be really necessary going forward with remote work is like this idea of self-management, right? Like when you don't have someone at the office that's like looking over your shoulder to make sure you're working and you have this flexibility, being able to do exactly what you said of, okay, it's flexible, but how do I manage my time? How do I do this so that I can both have this flexibility and go to my kid's soccer game or whatever it may be. And then also, you know, still honor my commitments and get that work done. And I feel like what I'm hearing from a lot of my friends who have become remote post COVID, like they didn't get to have that slow learning period that like I experienced, they're really struggling with that, right? Is this idea of what, when do I do what and how do I do this myself? And they're losing this like work-life balance because it all starts to feel like work. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I do. I do. And there's a, there's a number of like really good studies that have gone on since COVID to really highlight that, you know, this it's almost like a a a self-imposed social pressure of like people can't see me. So therefore, how do they know I'm working? So therefore, I have yeah. to be at my computer, you know, dear, you know, fully. I can't even take a lunch break. Um, and it's true. Like, I, I know that when we onboard new people weekly, this is a conversation I have with people of like, don't do that. We know at the end of the day, we'll know you're working because we'll see your results. Mm. If you're, if you take two hours to respond to a Slack message, okay, I assume you're busy. Um, and uh, so I think it 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 does mean resetting the expectation and and giving people the permission to, you know, just take it easy and and you know uh, you know take a sigh of relief, change your Slack status to you know away for. You know, running an errand or, you know, going to a kid's soccer game or working later tonight or what, whatever it may be uh, and to take that flexibility. I mean, the other thing I think that also reinforces it for uh, for a lot of people is society in general works in that nine to five schedule. Uh, and so if they are going to a concert, it's going to be at night. If they have a, you know, uh, a, an aspect with their kids, well, the kids are probably in school, um, you know, so therefore, it does help to reinforce that, oh yeah, when is my biggest outlet to express myself? It's generally going to be outside of working hours. Uh, but if I'm training for a marathon, I'm going to get out and do a, a long run during lunch, right? And I have the flexibility to do that uh, and making sure that people weave it in uh, yeah, that, uh, their work-life balance. So this is a very nerdy question, but I think the audience will like it because our audience are really cool nerds. Um, I like it. We've had a lot of people on this podcast that are heads of remote, right? Which is a fairly new term. You're the COO of, of Hotjar. You do a lot of, you have a lot of overlap with what like a head of remote, a lot of these other companies does. What my question is, and I said this is a very nerdy specific question, is there's been this discussion around like, is that job, is that role, a role that falls under the operations sort of vertical of the company or under like that HR and people sort of area? How do you read that? What do you think about that? Where Because the reason why I ask that is I do think that this is a newly... A, like a newly created career path that's going to exist going forward as somebody who says like, how do we manage this company remotely? Um, so I'm just kind of curious about what you think in terms of like, where does that role fit in best? Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with everything you said. This is an evolving role. It's one that I think will be here to stay. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's one that's well needed. Uh, um, and but it's still also being defined as we go. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, operations at Hotjar. So my domain covers uh, people, finance, compliance, and uh, in general operations. So I kind of got the whole mix of uh, of back office aspects. Um, and today we don't have a head of remote. We're, uh, we've, we're, we'll be hiring one next year. And the you know some some would say well you're wow, you're late to the game. And, or some would say you're on target. I, I don't know which one we are. I think we've got a really vibrant, happy uh, uh, distributed team. Uh, but I think that we should continuously strive to do more for them. And, and so we are looking to hire a head of remote. Um, they'll fall underneath uh, uh, my umbrella. Um, and um, the, uh, you know, I, I view it as somebody who really, you know, if, if you think about it, again, 
this is where this is where I think kind of old school and new school uh, need need to come uh, come to the same page. In a physical office, who's responsible for the activities, the norms, the groups, how you work together, um, and how you connect, and the you know when you should do social activities, where you should do them, um, and uh, and the vibrancy aspect of you know making sure people feel connected and how they connect, uh, what they should post to their SharePoint or whatever it is they're doing in offices these days. The answer is really nobody. Sounds to me like a missing position that corporations have had forever that remote mm. companies have realized. Oh yeah, like. This is a thing that's missing, and remote solved it before uh, before a traditional environment has. Um, and so, as we think through those, and how do you do the rituals, and how do you come together, and how do you build the energy and team support, uh, and the processes, and where you store information, and where you shouldn't, um, these are all things that I think any organization needs. And I think remote just kind of came to the first conclusion of it before most uh, most companies. Mm, that's an interesting. You know, we. We've never talked about that, that maybe it's a uh, an issue that existed before but was never quite filled and that remote just kind of, as it was building from the ground up all over again, just realized that it was a, a you know, an area that what that no one was taking care of it. So that's, that's a very interesting uh, observation. I like that. You know, I want to leave a little bit of time to talk about traveling as a family and being nomadic, but to wrap up the this side of the conversation, what are your biggest predictions in the future of work this is like one of my favorite topics because i love to look forward and look at all the different developments that are happening and trying to imagine how we may be doing work in 10 20 years when people ask me like why did i bet on remote work before covid uh happened i like to tell them that you know like the famous wayne gretzky quote of like just be where the puck is going and i had this idea of like well I believe that humanity is destined to become a multiplanetary species. And if that's the case, I just don't see us working in cubicles. Uh, and for me, like the answer was like, I think we're all going to have to figure out like async and remote work. And okay, if that happens in 20 years, I want to be there. So I'm kind of curious with that in mind, like what would be your biggest predictions of where the puck is going? I think, uh, I think the most successful companies in the world uh, will not be doing hybrid. Absolutely. And I think that's a more shorter term than longer term. Um, and if they, those that do hybrid, they'll do, it won't be the, you pick the two days the, of the week that you want to come to it, uh, which can, I think, fracture cultures and uh, create more clicks. One well, also um, completely reduces your ability to hire the best talent. You essentially create like a donut totally. effect of where you can get your best talent. So yeah, I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. Yeah. And so, but I do think that even even though like office based culture, I think I think there there will continue to be successful world class office based cultures. I think there's something to be said for people who work best in that environment. Um, uh, I don't think either one of I don't think we're one of them, uh, but uh, I think that there that will be uh, that'll still continue. And especially if you're you know designing physical things, you know there's the whole adage of like could the iPod have really been built in a you know remote aspect you know where you're like looking at the design aesthetics and the feel and everything like that. I don't know, but I think we will get to a point where uh, that will be possible. Uh, and I think that um, the uh, so I, I do think that more uh, so I, my prediction is hybrid goes away. It goes to remote or or uh, or in person offices. Yeah. And so I, I see it as a binary world and I see that 
it will be a binary world where remote has uh, greater participation than in office. Uh, and so I think that that will totally upset the real estate market uh, in a very positive way that's consumer friendly. Uh, very excited by that, much like to the digression we just had about uh, finding a place to rent. Um, but I do think that's a longer term aspect. There's a lot of utility aspects. You got to, you know, how do you take an office that yeah, has a bathroom to suit, you know, 100 people and now you want to set up, you know, 100 different bathrooms. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that those types of things will happen as a result of uh, remote companies or distributed companies, as I prefer to say, um, continue to grow uh, and become more more of the mainstay. Um, I think that'll also be enabled by better technology. Think, you know, whether that's, you know, the metaverse or or whatever might uh, be its successor. Uh, absolutely. There's promise there that is much better than Zoom and headsets. Um, and um, so I think I think it's an exciting time to be in the space. I agree. It's, uh, you know, we just happen to get to the puck uh, uh, where, you know, earlier than than most and uh, it'll evolve. Yeah, the way I like to equate Zoom and Slack is like, you know, we need them and everyone uses them, but also kind of everyone hates them a little bit in some way. And the reason why I talk about that that way, it's kind of like we're using the iPhone before apps. Like you're using those like web pages <laughs> and you remember, like, can you imagine like using Facebook yeah. before like the Facebook app came out? It's almost like we're yeah. using, we're already living in like Gen 2, but because it happened so fast, the tech itself did not upgrade or there were no like Gen 2 native solutions that were created for remote work. And I think like we talked about, there's so many people coming out with new tools. I'm finding new like people creating new tools for remote work every single day, which is so exciting. And I think we're going to see some of those Gen 2 native remote work native tools come out that I think to your point is really going to make things uh even better. To wrap up, I do want to touch on this idea of being nomadic with a family. And this is something that we've talked about on the podcast before. You know, we know that it's possible. There's so many families now that are doing it. It's so exciting. There's so many schooling options. I know that you guys, you know, homeschool that your wife uh, has kind of like, uh, at least in the past, taken the, you know, the front on, on, on tackling that. And there's a lot of different ideas around like world schooling and whatever. What I want to ask you about is, because your kids are now older, uh, you said your daughter is is uh, a 17 before we hit record. How have you seen this life as a digital nomad family? How has that affected your your children's growth? Like, how have you seen that change them uh, for the better or, you know, for not the better? Like, is there something that you wish that they would have picked up that maybe they would have if they were stationary all the time? Um, the... Uh... This is a topic that uh, we often get a lot of funny looks for uh, from from uh, from friends on because what we're doing is is very different. Um, you said there's a lot of families doing it. There's a lot of families. There's a lot more families doing it than there were you know five years ago or eight years right. ago when we started. But it's still so uncommon. It is kind of like looking at a you know a, a, a little bit of when you meet other traveling families, especially that have been doing it for a while you're in, you're, you're looking at unicorns. Um, and, um, and, and it's fun. And we've met a, a number of them and we've met up with them and traveled in multiple places intentionally to, to keep the rapport between 
the families and going, which is super, super cool and very special relationships. Um, we were actually in Bulgaria, in Bansko, Bulgaria, uh, in uh, January through uh, March, uh, meeting up with a popular a whole location of these stuff. days. A lot of fun, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the um, so uh, you know, I I think it, it's a it's an easy place that draws a lot of judgment, uh, and it draws a lot of judgment because it is so different, and it's what makes it so different is because it's not how we were raised which means it's not how our parents raised us. It's not how they were raised. And so it gets a lot of judgment, which uh, I think it's only because of um, it's so different. Uh, and it's so um, the, uh, you know, there's uh, there's no doubt in my mind that um, my kids are living uh, a fantastic life uh, and that uh, and that if they if we were in the United States, they would also be living a, a, a very good life. I think they're living a better life. Uh, obviously, I'm biased. Um, but the um, the things we've been able to uh, expose them to, uh, whether it's, you know, natural disasters or poverty or, uh, you know, cultural aspects of food, language, uh, clothing, uh, traditions, uh, you know, the things we're able to see that uh, that they would have only read about in a history book and that they're able to see and touch firsthand. Uh, you know, my daughter um, this year, uh, she's uh, that my, my wife no longer homeschools. Uh, we, we school online. There's a lot of different awesome platforms out there. Um, but one of the platforms my daughter's uh, taken a lot of programs on. Uh, she's done a lot of science programs through uh, Next Level Homeschool, uh, and she loves it, and it's been great. She's like totally geeked out in the marine biology, um, and she's been doing these different marine biology programs for two years. So she started when she was 15, uh, 14, uh, and when she was 16, she had the uh, opportunity of the instructor that teaches her marine biology bought a biome or a, a piece of property with three different biomes in Panama. And she invited her students to come for hands-on activities in Panama. Um, and like, that's not an experience my daughter would have ever gotten whatsoever. Right. Or, you know, they, but before that she was interested in genetics and I don't know what kind of 12 year old is interested in genetics, <laughs> but we we're in Albania and she was a interested smart in one. genetics. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, um, and, she was also, uh, and so my wife's like looking for like, my wife doesn't know anything about genetics, doesn't want to teach it, doesn't <laughs> want to learn it to teach it. Um, and so she went online and found a, you know, a, uh, a genetics program, uh, based on Harry Potter where somebody, and my daughter loved Harry Potter and took a look at JK Rowling's de descriptions of different people and how you can actually trace lineage through different traits of people's looks and, and language and this, that, and the other, and really broke down genetics into different aspects of inherited traits and so forth um, that were fascinating. And uh, she did a chemistry class on Harry Potter potions and spells as well. Like, you know, how cool is that? Like she wouldn't have got that in public school. I'm sorry. And so exposing her to these. And while she was in Panama uh, earlier this year, she renewed her diving certificate that we got her in, uh, in Honduras. I mean, like these are not things that you, that are normal. Um, and, um, I think people look at those and say, Oh, wow, you've opened my eyes. I understand what's possible, but, uh, how do you know they're on grade level? Or how do you know that, you know, if they're, even if they are taking international programs, you know, are they getting socialization and, and so forth? Well, all fair questions, but come meet my kids, right? And you'll that will you know open your eyes to different possibilities. Not that they're perfect angels by any means. That's why I have this soundproofing wall between me and my <laughs> son's room. But the uh, 
but they, uh, you know, th they are cultured in different ways, in different aspects that they wouldn't have been exposed to and did. And are there trade-offs? Absolutely. There are things, you know, I grew up, you know, knowing everybody on my, uh, my street and my block and being able to knock on doors and saying, Hey, you know, can Larry come out and play or whatever, you know, that's different when you're moving once a month into a different country as we've done. Um, and, uh, so again, back to that aspect of changing your lens and your prescription, what does that mean? It means my daughter's got friends all over the world that she, you know, Snapchats with or, you know, uh, and FaceTimes with and all kinds of stuff in different ways and in different contexts than people down the street. Uh, and, um, you know, my, you know, my son is, uh, is a big gamer and, you know, he's gaming with, kids all over the world that he's met online through his uh, online schooling. Uh, and they do stuff on the weekends. Like, you know, these are, you know, it's their way to, to play and get different outlets. So um, I would say that's the biggest thing that uh, like people, we, we get judged upon. And I think judge rightly because it is so different. But I think that the more you open your mind to it, the more you realize that, oh, wow, different is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because like, my generation, me being Bulgarian, I know a lot of people my age who, for example, were born in Bulgaria, grew up in Bulgaria, but then immigrated to another country, right? Especially after Bulgaria joined the European Union and sort of the doors open to people being able to travel a lot more. Like almost all my friends either grew up in some part of Europe or went they went to school in some part of Europe outside of Bulgaria. And so my generation, at least a lot of the people that I know from that world, it's very different from our parents where our parents were like born in Bulgaria, stayed in Bulgaria. And then my generation is sort of like born in Bulgaria, then lived outside, learned different languages, maybe studied abroad. And that was always really exciting to me, but it almost sounds like the next generation of kids is this truly, you know, global citizenship, like kids of digital nomads like, like yourself that get an even broader feeling of that, which I always thought was really cool about my generation, but it sounds like, you know, there's this whole other like level of it that is so, so interesting. And I'm so excited to kind of see what that generation does with, you know, without, you know, having that sort of upbringing, like how much more interesting and more global their, their uh, thought process is going to be. So that's really exciting. Well, Ken, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been a, a ton of fun. Uh, there's a lot of other things that I would have wished that we had time to talk about, but it's getting late for you over there in Portugal. So uh, I want to be respectful of that. But let people know, where can they find out more about um, what, you know, what you do? I know that you have a blog um, that you kind of used to write about or at least used to maintain <laughs> used to, yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit about this lifestyle. And then also about Hotjar, if, if you want to promote anything like that or anywhere else you want to let people, you know, direct people to come and find you or, or some of your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I did used to write a blog uh, and every now and then I get the inkling of I need to start it back up. It is still running and somebody can, uh, if you want to go in and check out some of our older stories uh, in traveling as a family. And uh, I enjoyed reading. Uh, I enjoyed reading your story about discovering the Costco in Merida because we had a very similar experience <laughs> discovering the Costco in Merida, which is the only Costco with a cenote in the parking lot. So it's a cool, it's a cool Costco. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, great point. Um, yeah, uh, sunglassesrequired.com is the blog. Sunglasses required, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll we'll scrub it off one day. And um, we, we have uh, we have been asked if we'd uh, write a book about uh, you know family travel as well. Um, but 
check it out. You can get in touch touch with me there as you contact us uh, uh, or uh, find out where I'm at uh, in uh, career travels on LinkedIn, Ken Weary, uh, spelt like it sounds. And um, uh, Hotjar is, we're always hiring. As I mentioned, uh, we've had a great growth trajectory uh, and uh, you can check out our careers page at careers.hotjar.com or anything you want to know about uh, our blog as well. And if you apply, say hello. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on here again. This has been a, a ton of fun. Thanks, Mitko. It's been awesome, man. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>